Welcome to the Literature Across Frontiers series, New Voices for Europe. I'm Alexandra Buchler, and it's a pleasure to introduce these interviews with writers who came to Europe from conflict zones and made the continent their new home. We have asked them about their journey, personal and creative, and what made it possible for them to restart writing as they emerged from often difficult circumstances. Some of these interviews are presented as podcasts, others as written articles. And all are a testimony to the admirable strength of spirit and perseverance the writers have shown. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Literature Across Frontiers podcast. I'm Marsha Links Quayle and with me today is Mezin Marouf. Hello, Mezin. Hello, Marsha. Mezin is, if you don't know him, a writer, poet, translator, critic, and journalist who lives between Reykjavik and Beirut. He was born in Beirut to a family of Palestinian refugees, and he studied chemistry and worked for several years as a chemistry and physics teacher before, as his bio says, he drifted into the literary field. He uh, published several collections of poetry. Uh, Our Grief Resembles Bread appeared in... um, 2000, I think, followed by The Camera Doesn't Capture Birds and An Angel Suspended on a Clothesline. Uh, He moved temporarily to Iceland in 2011, although the country must have quickly recognized their good fortune and he was offered citizenship in 2013. He published his surreal and sharply realized short story collection, Jokes for the Gunmen, which won the first ever Multaka Prize for the shorts for short story collections based out of Kuwait. And also then in Jonathan Wright's translation was long listed for the International Booker. It was followed by another short story collection, Rats That Licked the Karate Champion's Ear. And uh, he is currently at work on some other prose things. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Mezin. Thank you, Marsha. I really appreciate that, and I'm happy to be here with you. And so I wanted to ask why you said you drifted into the literary field. <laughs> Did I say this? I don't, I don't know. know. It's on your bio. Yeah. At, well, uh, actually, at... <laughs> yeah, like, uh, actually, you know, I, when I was uh, studying chemistry, I was writing, and uh, I was like uh, writing poetry, writing sometimes uh, uh, short pieces in uh, the cultural supplement of a Nahar newspaper, Nahar Shabab, right. uh, at that time. And, uh, and then I always like, you know, I was always writing. Uh, I published uh, two books when I was teaching, while I was teaching. And uh, so then I, in 2009, I just uh, resigned and... Um, moved i thought you know i would dedicate my time to writing so yes maybe it's a drift but i think you know sometimes you take some some things from your career like from your major like maybe uh, studying chemistry uh, left something in me when it relates to uh, analyzing or some technique of writing or some way of thinking uh, mm. about writing so yeah, it's a nice uh, drift anyway. I'm happy. I <laughs> you happy that you're not currently working as a chemistry and physics teacher? 
well i actually i really enjoyed uh, you know mm-hmm. especially with physics like when you deal with hidden like aspects you know forces and it's like about the things that you study the things that are unseen which is like something that's <laughs> uh, i really like you know like it's like kind of fictional but scientifically and right. uh, with chemistry it's like you dive into the microscopic level of living being and you understand to some level at least how things work technically and the mechanism of the finest things and i think this uh, gives you some kind of uh, pleasure secret pleasure or something you know that uh, i think it all helps like uh, writing and you know if you take for example louis benoyel like the, the filmmaker or you take andre breton or you know other other uh, great uh, cultural figures they sometimes drifted from scientific fields to to literature and i think there is always like uh, gottfried ben for example the, the the poet also he was surgeon and he was like german poet uh, so there's always this relation between science and literature that we explore in some way mm. and what about your drift or your movement from poetry to prose do you do you still write poetry no, not really. But I think mm. also, you know, poetry has like drifted also into the prose, right? Mm, mm. Like because, for example, uh, instead of writing poetry, you you write like or like you know you write you start to write poetic thoughts about life right. or when it comes to characters, when it comes to even ideas of uh, of short stories. You know, like if you take for example the works of uh, Benedetti, like they can be you know the short stories can be. I mean, and I feel I'm I'm reading poetry, like because the ideas are very poetic and very, very stunning as well and surreal. And uh, so I think I still use poetry, but in the prose sense. But no, I haven't written written poetry since 2013, I think. Mm. And so when you quit your job as a as a teacher, as a chemistry and physics teacher, were you sort of committing your life to being a writer at the time, or? As a as a journalist, or yeah, what was the I, idea? Yeah, the idea was exactly, of course, uh, I wanted to support myself, and I was very excited to to start writing articles. So I worked for a hard newspaper. I I writ, I written for uh, Al Arabi, uh, Al Quds Al Arabi, then Al Arabi Al Jadid, then As Safir, also Al Hayat. You know, like different. Uh, uh, newspapers also like uh, uh, so it's like I was like yeah um, writing reviews about books theater fine art and this is also this was also a privilege because uh, you know it gave me the opportunity to to read more than what I wanted sometimes to read books that I didn't really like you know but I had mm, to, mm-hmm. to read and uh, also like to to get closer to the cultural uh, you know, ground in in Beirut, uh, which which is you know like one of the richest, uh, was like in 2000. Uh, this is nine, ten, eleven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and uh, yeah, I was really excited. Uh, but then I thought, you know, like I would like to maybe focus on my writing better. And then I moved to Iceland, and here, as almost nothing happens in Iceland. So, yeah, I had the opportunity to, you know, of course, something happens. It's like very, very vibrant place when it comes to writers and 
you know, it's very funny because when I moved here, I thought, oh, I am going to be the only writer here, you know. And <laughs> like, I had no idea that there is a Nobel Prize winner here, Harper mm. Luxness. And I was working as, as a book reviewer in Amahar, you know. I had no idea that Iceland is so rich. But I think also that, you know, because of our history in the Middle East with colonialism and the dominance of some, like, let's say, countries in the region or the presence like the French, the British, the Americans, the Russians, we had an access to uh, literatures from these countries more than or let's say probably you know like than other uh, mm. countries and this is also political because these countries left institutions they uh, they had like strong relationships with cultural institutions locally in Lebanon and the Middle East so it was like kind of natural that the reader in there and me as a reader I could have access to works by American uh, literary figures British French you know Russian uh, and then other, let's say, um, or before other, the countries mm-hmm. from Sweden or Iceland, you know, Norway and so on. So how how was surviving as a writer, making a living as a writer, and also sort of keeping the faith as a writer different from when you were living in Beirut and, and part of the cultural scene there to after in, in Iceland? Well, to, to be honest, uh, Marcia, I... I live in Iceland, but all my writing is related to Beirut, you know, Mm. my memory there. It seems that this place here, Reykjavik, has given me other things. Like, for example, it's a city with with the highest or one of the highest um, capitals when it comes to to bookstores and bookshops. So there's Mm. accessibility to, you can have access to the newest literary literary uh, works that are coming out you can have access to the newest graphic novels comic books you know that uh, that are there just like published uh, so there are things that you know enrich me as as an individual and uh, help me continue be on my pace as a writer but all my themes are about beirut and my memory is still there and uh, and I feel also I live in the place of Beirut, you know, like I don't feel I live here in, in Reykjavik. I'm physically here, but I'm mentally and, uh, you know, in Beirut. And I have this writing habit every day. So I have to wake up very early, go to a cafe, uh, you know, for a couple of hours, write. Uh, and then I have another session of writing in the evening. And I have a job in uh, in Reykjavik here. Uh, mm. that to support myself of course and I teach in the university here also I teach Arabic and Arabic literature and Middle Eastern history uh, so it's like you know like uh, after all I live in a place where there is a system uh, if you support yourself you can have time to do other things um, but of course I you know like I'm a writer before I came to Reykjavik so Reykjavik is also like uh, is also a place very like I mean al- almost everybody is a writer here or artist mm. or musician you know like you ask almost anyone and they would tell you that we are doing this or that on like so this also makes you feel uh, wow I'm you know in this room with all these interesting people So would you recommend other 
you know, other Arab writers move to Iceland? Well, actually, of course, like they are welcome to visit. <laughs> it's like I have to admit that it's very it's not easy place to live in, especially for us, you know, who are used to big cities like uh, vibrant everyday life. There is plenty of tension in Beirut. For, I'm used to this tension in Beirut, you know, mm. like to this, like um, uh, like every every day there is all kinds of problems going on there. So my writing mechanism depends on this conditional tension that has to be there for me to get inspired. So in Reykjavik, I don't have this tension. So I have to be on the news all the time, following up what's going on. Uh, of course, uh, uh, getting, you know, like also the feeling that I understand nothing of what's going on in the Middle East. So it's like, uh, and the feeling of isolated and the feeling of, you know, I don't know if you hear the snow now. <laughs> So yeah, the, I do. Yeah, so this is like hail now. Uh. Yeah, and uh, we have a kind of storm, you know. <laughs> so it's. I like, wondered what that was. I thought you were jingling ice cubes or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, the other day oil was. Uh, I found out that the oil has frozen in my, you know, closet. Oh. Kitchen closet. So it's like sometimes, sometimes it's like that, you know. So I do think that, uh, of course, I, I I recommend yes, and I actually I I met some 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 writers from the Middle East who came here to take part in some festivals, and they thought this is like crazy place to live. You know, uh, they asked me how do you survive here. So it's like I do believe that uh, Reykjavik is not for everyone. But I think mm. what keeps me on the pace is that I'm, let's say now I'm working on a book almost at the end, a collection of short stories. So you have to do something in Reykjavik to survive. You have to keep yourself busy. Otherwise, right. uh, it pulls you down, really. So have your readers changed since uh, since you've moved there and, and since your works have been more and more translated into different languages. Do you envision your, your readers as different or do you still think about your readers as being in Beirut? Well, to be like, you know, uh, you know, uh, I write in Arabic. So, right. um, and uh, I think the, the first target is the readers in the Middle East, Beirut, Palestine, right. you know. Uh, though I don't think of the reader like necessarily all the time, but I admit that I think of my readers, of course, sometimes. And um, and uh, but I think you know, as I write in Arabic, it means that I'm targeting these readers there. And of course, I'm talking about uh, or uh, I'm starting from my experience as a Palestinian in Beirut. Like though mm. I don't, it's not maybe you know like uh, obvious in my writings, or it's not like that. Uh, that you know, like uh, how they say, uh, prudent there, but but still, it is like uh, all these problematics when it comes to my characters, they spring out of this experience of me as a Palestinian in Beirut who never, um, who never, like you know, you know how Beirut works is that, like uh, I mean, even now in politics. Uh, Palestinians have to be constantly reminded that Beirut is not their city. 
you know, but this is not a place for you, even if you grew up there, even if you were born there. If, so you grew up like with like this uh, problematic relation to the place. Is it your place or not? And mm. how much you can approach it and all these, you know, like uh, small problems, but very essential and like very principal problems, let's say. So I think everything, you know, springs out of my experience, my personal experience. Uh, and I think imagination also is a very personal thing as well. We imagine differently, I do believe, uh, uh, due or according to our life experiences. Right. I mean, do you, so do you see, but your writing changing in the last, what has it been now, 10 years since you, uh, since you moved to Reykjavik? Or you, it's your imagination is, continues to be rooted in, in your experience growing up in Beirut? Yeah, I think, you know, like, uh, of course, you know, I still read about uh, uh, that part of the history, like in the 80s, 70s, you know, Beirut, mm. how was the social life there? How was the situation there, the war, everything? And um, and I do believe definitely my writing has, has changed, maybe developed, I don't know. But at least I, as I told you, like, that... I have an accessibility to more books here, so I'm I have like a good, let's say, bookshelf of uh, graphic novels here, comic books. You know, it's like the first thing that I ever read when I was kid. It was mm. comic books, and so now I'm coming back to this, but I'm reading works by legends like you know Daniel Close or you know I mean all these like uh, great great writers great so storytellers so I'm I learn from them you know and at the same time I um, have to keep my relation to the Arabic language by reading works by great Arab writers let's say contemporary or uh, late writers so it's like uh, it's a work let's say in progress that yeah like you know i i feel because you know i think we never understand the, the idea of literature and the idea of, like the, the concept of writing that's why we have lots of so many writers throughout the history so many styles so many ways of approaching ideas approaching a novel short story because like uh, there is not uh, one pers perception of writing and you know we feel that we have to uh, go on to experience more, to explore more. Um, I'm supposed to have matured, yes, <laughs> ten years than, <laughs> than ten years ago, but I, I don't know. You know, I hope. So you definitely have um, access to more global literature, but what about how do you stay in touch with what's going on in Arabic literature? I imagine it would it must be expensive to ship. It's physical books too and you know it's like frustrating because i read about all these uh, interesting works and i haven't read many of them mm. and i'm like it's frustrating it's very expensive to ship here and uh, i'm waiting to go back to beirut you know and right. to because this is what i do i go back every now and then you know that was before the pandemic mm. and i would ship uh, like um, all these books that i'm interested in but i've been thinking recently to contact some publishers here and there in the middle east to send me some books because uh, i think yeah it's like uh, this is uh, it's like a bone in the throat you know that uh, ah you know i i mean i'm in contact with as you describe it like globally uh, not everything of course but at least 
the significant or more or less significant works, but then I'm missing on uh, what's going on in, uh, and I'm reading only the books that I have here with, right. me, you know, in Arabic. You need to tell them to ship you review copies. Well, yeah, I, I, I know. Well, I'm, that's <laughs> fine, you know, because, <laughs> because, you know, also like, uh, then I will have to review them and. Uh, <laughs> no, not necessarily. Come on. You, you get a lot of review copies and it's not a promise. Yeah. It's just a suggestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Good. Thank you, Marcia. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask about sort of what role translation plays in your writing, your uh, your writing being translated into other languages, how that has changed or not changed your career as a writer, maybe facilitated attending events in other um, countries, if that matters to the development of your writing or not. Well, yeah, definitely. It's very, very good, actually, because after all, I'm, you know, um, my work is accessible in different languages and I'm happy to get in contact with a broader scale of, of readers uh, from different cultures, from different uh, backgrounds, different opinions. Some readers are very harsh, you know, like uh, others are. Um, I think some few of them like the book, maybe some you know and uh, and but uh, but honestly i don't know like when i when you write a book it's not yours anymore i, I know this is like the kitschy slogan of writers but this is really what i feel about you know like i don't go back to my book and uh, like i don't read my book after i had published it and uh, and uh, yeah now to see it in different languages like uh, it's very very embracing for me, very good, very nice. But uh, yeah, this is like, uh, of course, you know, I have to give credit to all these translators who did a great job. And sometimes I feel that that book in translation or, you know, the translated work was finer than the original work in terms of style and language. And really these translators, like, you know, did great, great job. And I'm very, very happy, like, and very grateful to all of them that they had time uh, to to work on my book uh, into different languages. So do you also feel like you're a part of the Icelandic literary community and and how do you become a part of a literary community that's that writes in a different language? No, let me be very blunt here. No, not at all. I don't mm. feel I am not part and I don't feel and I am not part. This is, mm. there's two things here. It's very, very difficult for a foreign writer in Iceland, in Reykjavik, to to be accepted as a part of the community. They would, like you, your work would be like uh, celebrated to some point or highlighted to really, really some degree only. Mm. And then um, it's, yeah, it's like, uh, that's it. That's all I have. Like, uh, this is like... Um, not only my thought or my experiences, like there is a big number of foreign writers here who uh, live on the margin of the literary scene in Iceland, and I'm one of them. So we are not fully like, um, there is no interest in our works almost here. Mm. Um, we don't know why, but this is how it is here. And at the same time, to be honest, my works revolve around Beirut and, you know, 
like you know and what's going on or what has been going on there and uh, so at the same time i know that i'm writing in arabic i don't write in icelandic i write about beirut i don't write about iceland you know maybe later on but maybe this is a fair treat in a way because i'm mm. also like um you know my writings revolve around the middle east but i live here so but this is a bitter truth and it has been in the uh, circulating in the um, cultural medias here for some time uh, because nonetheless it's strange you know to to be uh, like to be on the margin of the literary scene i'm not talking about me i'm talking about you know this amazing group of writers and uh, and poets from europe and from you know africa middle east right so it, it would it it might be different if you had moved for instance to to berlin instead of reykjavik yeah i think so because here you know like uh, also like the specificity of the history here is that you know this is an island it's in the very north hemisphere almost and there is no neighbors uh, you know and uh, the character of the islanders is like you know the characters of survivals the characters of like a small community they feel more bounded to each other and they are related to each other you know like uh, because they are basically one big family and uh, and uh, there has been also great uh, relation between icelanders and icelandic language and this is because of the in the medieval ages and afterwards they were very very poor and all they had to survive is that uh, books so their families would gather in you know like darkness and read to their children read together so there is really like a culture that uh, highly respected i do highly respect here of like uh, relation uh, languages and language and the books the books is a culture here you know on christmas people buy books to each other they uh, christmas time is the time you publish a book because the mm-hmm. most precious present is a book so all these writers and uh, presents uh, like awards i mean they are uh, given around or published and given around christmas time so um so yeah it's uh, not easy you know i mean for to change this in a way and also like i think iceland doesn't have a big let's say big experience with with immigrants or long experience with immigrants mm. like in like norway or germany or denmark you know so it's like things are quite happening slowly here so has has covid changed any of how you relate to your readers have you done any of these um zoom book events uh have you participated in any of these things and would you continue to even post covid or are you ready to get back out into the real world yeah well uh i'm a little bit paranoid you know because <laughs> because of covid and because i actually I had these symptoms for uh, 7 or 8 weeks like uh, dry cough uh, difficulty breathing it was very very hard so I don't know if I got it or not but uh, I did some events on Zoom yes and uh, I prefer to get vaccinated before <laughs> before moving out in a mm. way <laughs> you know we really don't know what's going on now in in this uh, yeah in this world it's like yeah so 
But, but do you I do you imagine a, continuing to do Zoom events in the in the future? Like continuing really, to stay know, in? No, not mm-hmm. really. I like to be in in like in contact, like the same room with the, with the, with the readers and with all these people who who must like in most events they have more interesting thoughts about my books than than mine. You know, like. Uh, and uh, and I they help me like uh, see things about my writing. Uh, it's very very good for me as well. But also like you know like the idea of doing uh, uh, events on Zoom is uh, is an amplifier to this like fact that we are amid uh, like the flow mm. of knowledge like uh, information. We are isolated as human beings. You know like like. Uh, the system works now in a way that, okay, we provide you with information, you know the truth between brackets, you know what's going on in the world, but there is no efficiency to this. You uh, you can't change the system, you know, which makes you more isolated and more depressed deeply and more, more frustrated on social media. So like... Uh, so I think these Zoom like uh, meetings when I'm alone on a screen and uh, it, it materializes uh, this isolation, but we just needed a factor to to reveal this. Like I think that we are really isolated. We are really distant from each other. Well, I hope that soon we will be going out to book fairs and that I'll run into you at some book fair somewhere yeah. in the in the real world. Yeah. Thank you so much for for doing this today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks again, Mazin. Thank you, Marcia, and uh, good luck and I hope to see you yes uh, uh, anytime soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Literature Across Frontiers podcast. You can hear more episodes from the series by subscribing to follow the Literature Across Frontiers podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to rate the podcast and give us a review, especially if it's going to be a five-star one. Please also help us raise awareness about the Literature Across Frontiers podcast through your social media accounts. And finally, I'd like to thank the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union for making this interview series possible with their support.